So 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is the text we're going to use to reflect upon where we are as a church and our own hearts in Jesus. So let me read that for us. This is God's word. He authored it, and uh, therefore it has authority over us. It's good, and it's worth giving our attention to. So will you please give it your attention now? 1 Thessalonians 1, beginning in verse 2. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us, the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Will you please pray with me as we ask God to help us understand this part of his word? Please join me. Father, we come now again before you and ask that you would humble us Under the authority of the Bible, Father, here you speak your will into our lives, and we ask that we would have ears to hear tonight. Father, tonight, if we're coming from a place of unbelief, from a place of little faith, from a place of doubt and skepticism, Father, if here tonight we're coming from a place of sadness and depression and loneliness, Father, if tonight we're here and we're coming from a place of significant growth, excitement, and joy in Jesus, Father, no matter where we are tonight as we are here, spiritually or emotionally or psychologically, we ask that tonight you would remind each and every one of us about what is true, that we are loved by you because you made us in your image. Even though we have fallen away from you in our sin, you pursue us by your grace through Jesus. You've sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in those who place their trust in Jesus. And you are here right now because you care for us. You want us to hear from you because you have the words of life. And Father, remind us also that in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our sadness and sorrow, you do not give up on us. You rather continue to pour out love and kindness and mercy and generosity on us, your people. And Father, tonight we ask for those who desperately need to hear that message for perhaps the first time, and for those of us who have heard it many times and still indeed need to hear it again, we pray that you would help us to hear it by the work of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've watched uh, sports all of my life, and I know some of you are sports fans and some of you aren't, but the more sports that you watch on TV or live, the more you can tell whether or not a particular team has has what some commentators call chemistry. I mean, the best example of that is our Spurs, of course. 
The Spurs are a delight to watch if you know about the sport of basketball. The fluidity of their movements, their passing, their spacing of the floor, their ability to get open shots. It's just a, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And what's even more impressive in, in some ways is, is the off-court chemistry of a team like the San Antonio Spurs. If you watch sports, you can tell by the way the team interacts with the coach during a timeout. If a player is sort of staring off into the stands looking for cute girls, you know the chemistry is probably not great on that team. But if everybody is locked in and engaged on what the coach is saying or on the play that he's drawing up, that's a good sign, a good barometer of chemistry, of how well the team is getting along, of how healthy it is. The Spurs are one of the best examples in all of sports, professional or college, of of health, of chemistry in a sports team. The Lakers, on the other hand, are not an example of health and chemistry. Traditionally, they're a great basketball franchise, but this year they're particularly terrible. And as a Laker hater, I love watching them every chance I get because it's great to see them just not do well for once. Um, They give each other dirty looks on the court when one guy takes a shot and another guy wanted a shot. They don't like to pass. They don't listen to their coach in timeouts. Everybody is checked out and in it for themselves and not for the team. And as someone who is always rooted against the Lakers, I find that wonderful in every way. You can tell in a lot of different ways, the more you watch sports, the more you're a part of teams yourselves, if a team has health or if a team lacks health. Now, all sorts of walks of life and communities of people are like that. Churches are like that. One thing that I've said since the beginning of this church is that each church has its own smell. If you've been around churches for a while, you can walk into a new church and pretty quickly smell if this church is healthy or if there's a good sense of community and fellowship or if that's lacking or somewhere in the middle. Churches have signs of whether or not there is chemistry, of whether or not there is health and vitality and life. This church, Christ Church, is a new church. We've been worshiping together now for about eight months. And as we enter into the new year, I want to take this sermon and think together with you about how we as a church can grow in health, in in church chemistry, so to speak, by the work of God's Holy Spirit among us. And I want to think together using this letter of the Apostle Paul to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, because this is a letter that he wrote where he, in many ways, diagrams. He, he lays out for us what a healthy church is to look like. What does a church look like that is founded upon and living in the gospel of Jesus Christ? What does a church look like where people are coming to know Jesus and growing in their faith? What does a church look like where believers are loving one another well? 1 Thessalonians is one of many places in the New Testament where we can look and find our answers. Our church here at Christ Church has a vision, and our vision is to be a church that savors God's grace builds God's community, and joins in God's mission. Grace, community, and mission. That's been the heartbeat of our church from the very beginning, which wasn't that long ago. The strategy of our church is to be a church in the northeast part of Metro San Antonio that in particular reaches 
who I call the de-churched and the spiritually starved. People who have grown up in more or less moralistic church-type houses or cultures and yet have never really heard or experienced the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's people that are familiar with church, that are familiar with religion, that are familiar with Jesus and the Bible, and by and large, who have a positive, a positive opinion and impression of those things, and yet who have not had their lives radically altered by the gospel. That is, that is who we're after. We want to see unchurched people come to know Jesus, and we want to see dechurched and spiritually starved people who think they know Jesus come to really know him for the first time. That's what we're all about here. As I mentioned a minute ago, our, our church is eight months old now, and the year 2015 is going to be an important year for us. You know, think of, think of the analogy of children. You know, our church had a pregnancy from the time my family moved here in July of 2013 till we were born in our first worship service in this room on Easter Sunday, 2014, April 20th. And that was our birthday, and we're about eight months old now. And in the next year, we're going we're gonna to move into toddlerhood, which is scary. Um, what happens from month eight to month 20 in a child's life? A lot of things happen, right, as you parents know. A child m- usually begins to walk. They'll usually begin to use words. They're not going to get potty trained yet, most likely, which is unfortunate for us. We'll wait till 2016, I guess. But um, for now, there's a lot of stuff happening in our life together and our growth together as a church. It's, a, it's an important year. It's a year where I'm excited to see what God is going to do here. And I'm excited for you to be a part of what God is going to do here. And so as I've been praying and reflecting upon our church, and our mission for this year, again, this text came into my mind. And I want to share with you tonight three hopes for Christ Church for the year 2015 from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Three hopes for Christ Church. But before I jump into those three hopes, let me tell you a little bit more about this letter and about the church that Paul wrote to. 1 Thessalonians is almost for sure Paul's first letter. He wrote it in probably AD 50 or so. So, 1960-something years ago now, 70-something years ago now. And he went to the, the people in Thessalonica on his second missionary journey with a couple of his companions. And first he went to Philippi in the larger area of Macedonia and tried to plant a church there. And he was mistreated and abused, as he tells us in his letter to the Philippians. He was thrown in jail. And once they got out of jail in Philippi, he and his companions left Philippi and went to Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica was the major city in that part of the ancient Roman Empire, which was northern Greece or Macedonia. It was on the middle of a major highway called the Via Ignatia. And so it was a a center of, of politics and commerce and economics and industry. There was a lot going on there. And so Paul shows up in Thessalonica and begins preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he sees many people, by God's grace, come to know Jesus in faith. People that are Gentiles, people that were pagans, are converted to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And a little church starts there. But Paul is persecuted in this place as well. And he has to leave Thessalonica before he would have wanted to leave. And he worries about this young church. And so he sends his protege, Timothy, one of his protégés, one of his companions in missionary journeys, back to Thessalonica to find out how things are going. 
And so Timothy goes back to Thessalonica and then rejoins Paul in Corinth. You can read about this in Acts chapter 18, verse 1 and following. And he gives Paul this glowing report, a great report. He says, the church there in Thessalonica that you've planted, Paul, it's doing great. They love Jesus. People are coming to know Jesus. They love one another. It's really a healthy place. And as a response to that report from Timothy, Paul writes this letter. And it's a glowing letter. If you read through it, it's five chapters. And throughout the letter, he's, very, um, he's, he's showing them how grateful he is for them. He's, he's proud of them. He's thankful for them. It's not like Galatians where he almost immediately says, what in the world are you doing? You've left the gospel. No, here he says, I'm so thankful for you. And these verses that we read, are his, they're his opening prayer of thanks and gratitude for the Thessalonians and for the, the new church that has been planted there. And in this prayer, we find what I think are many signs of a healthy church, many signs of what it looks like when a particular follow, body of followers of Jesus has good chemistry, has vitality, has life through the Holy Spirit. And so as we think about this text together tonight, again, I want to tell you three things that I want us to think about and pray about and hope for, for ourselves as a body of Christ followers in 2015. So here they are. The three hopes are these. First, I hope that we will in this place see powerful gospel change. Second, I hope that we will labor in love in our city And third, I hope that we will see conversions and renewal. Okay, so that's where we're headed. First hope, powerful gospel change. And really, that's the main thing that Paul pinpoints or highlights in this first part of his letter. Look at the text with me again. He says in verse 4, We know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do we know he's chosen them? Verse 5, Because the gospel, the good news, came to you not only in word, but also in power. And in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. In other words, when Paul came to Thessalonica and began preaching and teaching and talking to people about the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, that message, that news began to impact and change people's lives. It made a difference. You see there that he says, the gospel came to you in word. In other words, he shared the good news. You have to use words to communicate the gospel because the gospel is news. He came and he started talking to these people about what had happened in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus and what it means for them. But he also says that when the gospel came, it didn't just come in word. It also came in power. And it led to conviction, to life change. I read a book a few years ago by Michael Lewis who authored uh, famous books like Moneyball. Uh, But this book is called The Big Short. And it's him chronicling the story of a couple of people that were a part of the financial crash on Wall Street in 2007, 2008, and before. And these were a couple of men who were financial analysts that in 2005, 2006, began to detect that there was a lot of big companies and big banks, the Wall Street powers, you know, like Goldman Sachs and and, uh, Morgan Stanley, the big, big people that call the shots in Wall Street. They were tremendously leveraged with all of these really bad assets. And things were eventually going to really go bad for them. They were going to start bleeding money left and right. And so, these few analysts begin to spread the news. They begin to disseminate this news to their circles. And most people said, there's no way. 
Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, they're fine. These are the, these are the best banks, the most powerful companies in the whole world. If they go under, everything's going to go really, really bad. But a few people, a few people, according to Lewis, listened. And they began shorting those stocks. That is, betting that they were going to turn south very quickly. And the book chronicles how the few people that heeded the advice of these very shrewd financial analysts made millions and millions of dollars as the financial markets began to crash in 2007 and 2008. You see, they heard the word, the news that this guy was giving, but they also heard it and were convicted to do something. Convicted to change, whereas most were not. That's exactly what's happening here in Thessalonica, in the church that Paul planted. He came and he preached the gospel and the people heard it and experienced power, experienced change. They experienced conviction. Now listen, I mentioned a minute ago, we moved here, my family, 18 months ago. And we knew a few of you, we had a few phone numbers, a few names, we met a few of you a few times, but we didn't really have anyone that was committed to this church that had signed up on the dotted line. And so we showed up and, and I started thinking, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, I'm not a CEO, I'm not a, I'm extroverted, but not like the life of the party. I can't just go in and have 50 people follow me out of a, of a bar or a coffee shop. What am I going to do? And so I thought, you know, I'm a preacher. That's like the only thing I can do. God put me on this earth to teach and to preach. That's why I, that's why I wanted to be a pastor. That's what I feel called to. I guess we should start a Bible study. <laughs> so we started a Bible study up. And people came, amazingly. And some of them are still here, even more amazingly. And, and then more people started coming. And God began to do good work through us. We, we started just hearing and reading about and talking together about the gospel. The gospel is it's laid out for us in the New Testament. And from the very beginning of the church, from the time it was, a, it was an idea in my head, the heartbeat of this place has been that that news, that that gospel, that what Jesus has done for us would make a difference in many, many lives. That it would make a difference in my life, that I would experience change. That you would experience change through the power and the conviction that comes through hearing the gospel. We talk about that word gospel all the time here. If you've been here for more than two weeks, you should have heard it multiple times. And it's easy for the word gospel itself to become a buzzword. So when we talk about deep gospel change, what exactly do I mean practically? What should we be hoping for? Well, the gospel is the message, as I've said, the news of what Jesus of Nazareth has done for humanity in his life and death and resurrection. The gospel tells us that humans are sinful. We've fallen away from God through rebellion. But God sent Jesus, who was the second person of the Trinity, God himself, to live a perfect life and to die a death on the cross in our place. So that when Jesus died, God is punishing human sin. He's not punishing Jesus because Jesus didn't sin. He's punishing, he's punishing your sin in Jesus. So that through the death of Jesus, your sin is completely paid for and for, you are forgiven entirely. And then God raised Jesus up from the dead after three days in the ground. And in the resurrection, we have proof. We have certainty that Jesus' death does really atone for all of our sins, no matter how dark, no matter how bleak. And all you have to do to receive the full forgiveness that God offers you in Jesus is to believe in his name, to believe that he died for your sins on the cross and was raised again from the dead, never again to die. That's the gospel. And the way the gospel changes us, you see, is, is that when we believe these things, we begin to understand ourselves in a new light because we really are different people. 
So, for example, the gospel changes you in that it takes away your worry and your anxiety about your life and about your future. You know, that's something so many of us have tendencies towards. To fear our financial future, to fear for the future of our children, to fear for the future of this country or whatever. The gospel changes us. It works It's powerful change in that way because the gospel tells us that through Jesus, we have utter security. Because Jesus died for us and was raised again from the dead, God has already fully accomplished that which is most important, your eternal salvation. God has already said in the death of Jesus that he is one day going to make all things new in this world. And so because we believe the gospel, we need no longer have anxiety or worry or fear. We can be secure. The gospel changes us in many other ways. You see, it it takes away your feelings of, of guilt and shame and worthlessness. Most of us, all of us, at some point or another in our lives experience those feelings. Perhaps you've done something that you regret deeply and that you can't shake. You think about it all the time. You worry about other people finding out. It, it haunts you day and night. Perhaps you were just told by maybe your dad or some other father figure in your life or a friend when you were growing up, and maybe you're still told right now that you're worthless, that you're no good, that no one's ever really going to love or accept you. And that has been deeply embedded into your emotional DNA so that the way you operate is by shame and a feeling of worthlessness. That, That affects us all so deeply, but the gospel changes that, you see. Because the gospel says that you are so full of worth in God's eyes that he would send Jesus to die for you. Even though you are a sinner, even though you have rebelled, even though you have run from him, he loves you and values you so deeply that as we've already sang tonight, that the blood of Jesus was shed for you to be pardoned. You were of lasting and great worth to God. You are no longer considered by him to be guilty because Jesus has borne your guilt. You need to no longer experience the shame and the worthlessness that has for so long defined you because Jesus took that upon his shoulders in his death. You see, the gospel changes us in these ways and in many others. Our problem is that we so often fail to believe it. We've been Christians for a million years. We, we tend to still fail to believe the gospel. We, we tend to believe the gospel one minute and, and then go back to our old ways of thinking and our old ways of living and our old patterns of functioning the next minute. And my hope for us is that we would be a people where more and more and more the gospel is being believed, where the gospel is being loved, where the gospel is changing the way we think about ourselves, the way we think about one another, and the way we think about God. Only the gospel can truly change your hearts. And the gospel will change your hearts. May Christ Church be a place where more and more and more that's happening. We want you to be a part. How can you be a part of deeper gospel change this year here in this place? Well, one thing you can do is begin now in January a regular daily scripture reading plan. I just started one again in January 1st. And uh, there's a great number of them at esvbible.org and many other websites. You can find a scripture reading plan, and you can just spend some time each day in God's Word, remembering again the gospel as you read the scriptures together. Just take 15 minutes, read the scripture for the day, and then ask and talk to yourself and pray and remember what is true. That's one thing you can do. 
Another thing you can do to see deep gospel change in your life this year is to join a missional community group. That is, that is the way here at Christ Church that we apply or try to apply the gospel to one another's lives. Those are, the, those are the places, those are the contexts in which community is built and faith is built. And if you come to one of our groups, it's not going to be the best thing ever in your life, the first meeting. It takes time to get to know people. It takes time to be vulnerable and open with others. It takes time to allow the, the gospel to filter slowly into our life together. But those are very practical things that you can do while you're here. As long as God would have you at Christ Church to see the gospel work, a deep change in your life as we more and more rely on the Holy Spirit. That's my first hope. Second, second hope is that we would labor in love for our city. Paul talks about that here in 1 Thessalonians. Look at verse 3. He says he remembers them in his prayers, and the first thing he says is he remembers their work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You see those words there? Work, labor, steadfastness. He says, I remember how you served one another, how you labored for those who need care, how you, how you sacrificed for the good of someone else. And really what he's saying here is that if you're really believing the gospel, if you've really been converted, if you really trust Jesus, that is going to work itself out in these ways. He says it's work and labor and steadfastness, but it flows out of, you see there, it flows out of faith and out of love and out of hope in Jesus. When you trust Jesus, when you hope in Jesus, one thing that results is that you begin to care for other people. I would love for us in this coming year, to more and more be a church that cares for one another well and that loves our city, our community well. You know, I was so encouraged even this week. Um, we're right by a military base, as we all know. And so we have so many opportunities to love and serve our military families, particularly when a family is having a husband deploy. And that's coming up with one of our families here, the Ties. John's just about to deploy, and something got put up on the city this week by their missional community group. Said, hey, can you, would love to serve Danielle and their two little ones while John's gone for nine months. Anybody want to help? And man, the, there was like 18 responses on the city. It was, it was so encouraging. That's a great example of what it looks like to do what Paul's talking about here, to serve and work and labor for one another's good and benefit. But I think he also is talking here about working and laboring for the good of those who aren't yet here, for the good of those in this city who need Jesus, for the poor, for the needy, for the disenfranchised and the brokenhearted and the outcast. You know, who did Jesus spend the most of his time with when he walked this earth? Those kinds of people. And I long for us this year to more and more be a church, to more and more be a place where we individually and together care for those who have needs. You know, San Antonio is the poorest city in America with over a million people. And even the suburbs of San Antonio, where most of us are situated, are littered with poverty. And if they're not littered with poverty, they're littered with all other sorts of relational and economic brokenness. Sometimes it's hiding behind the nice suburban homes that we live in, but it's always there. And even this week, I read an article from an economist that said, for the first time in American history, more poor people now live in suburban and rural areas than in urban areas. The poor are here. 
You don't have to go to downtown San Antonio to find them, although you could. You don't have to go there to find the disenfranchised and the needy and the weak. They're all around us. Drive down FM 78 and you will see them. Drive down Shirts Parkway right past the library and you'll see the housing projects there. Drive by Clemens High School and through Universal City and you can see it. There is much physical material need all over our area, the place where God has called us to serve. And I would love for us to more and more as we mature be a church that is a part of bringing the kingdom of Jesus' love to those kinds of people. May they be welcome here and then may we go out and care for them and serve them. What can you do? Well, there's all sorts of organizations that we would love to support and plan on supporting. We're going to start a team in the next few weeks and months that's going to strategically focus on mercy and justice needs in our part of San Antonio. If that's something that God has placed on your heart, we would love for you to be a part of that team. Thinking about how we can serve the orphans and the widows, about how we can care for the poor, about how we can meet practical needs in real time here and now. We have Shara Pierce with Resources for Women who cares for broken women and women who have experienced pregnancies that were unplanned and sometimes unwanted. And she does amazing work on a very practical level, day by day, saving children's lives and changing women's lives. Talk to her and partner with her. We would love for more ministries like this to be partners with us at Christchurch as we move forward together in mission. We want to be a church that experiences deep gospel change. That's the first hope. The second hope is that we would be a church that labors in love for one another and for our city. And then thirdly, the third hope is that we would experience and see conversion and renewal. Look at verse 9. Paul says here, For they, that is the people that report to us about how the church is going, they report concerning us the kind of reception we had. And then here's what happened when Paul showed up in Thessalonica. You turned, he says, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. That's one of the best little summary verses in the whole Bible for what it means to be converted. People, when Paul showed up and started preaching the gospel in Thessalonica, people turned from their idolatry from their worship of false gods and false masters to God. They repented and they believed and their lives were forever altered. And listen, I want everyone to listen to this and I want to speak as clearly as I can. The reason that we plant churches is so that people will experience conversion. That is why churches are started. Churches are not to be started primarily because there's a certain group of people that don't like the church down the street and want to start a new one that they will like. Churches are planted for the purpose of seeing gospel renewal and conversions. That is why we plant churches. That is what it means to fulfill the Great Commission. When Jesus says, go into the world and make disciples, he's not just talking to you individually. He's talking to us as a church. He says, teach them and baptize them. Start new churches in places where people who need to hear about Jesus live. That is why we started. That is why we exist. And it's a little bit strange in San Antonio because so many people here think they already know Jesus. And that is the particular people group that we are called to. We're called to to those who have grown up in churches and never heard the good news of Jesus. 
They've heard a lot of law. They've heard a lot of rules. They've heard a lot of do's and don'ts, but they don't know the freedom of the grace that he brings. That is who we are after. That's who we want to reach. If you don't want to reach those people, you are in the wrong place. And if you're not doing something to reach those people, you're dead weight. And by God's grace, we have seen that taking place here. We've seen people who have come to this place and by God's mercy said things to me like, I never really have understood grace until I came here. Or, I, I never really understood what it means to, to believe the gospel and the difference it can make until I, I met this people. That's, that's exactly what we want to hear. We want people to come to know Jesus, to turn from idols and believe and serve in the living God. Will you pray for that? Will you pray for that this year? That's one thing you can do. That's, in fact, the most important thing you can do practically. In fact, I'd like for you all right now to think of three people in your life. Three people in your life that don't know Jesus or that you're not sure of. If you don't know three people that aren't Christians, go meet a few. Um, Go to Fox's Pizza. There's plenty there, and it's a fun place to hang out. And they're very friendly. Um, There's other bars that are great. There's coffee shops that are great. People will talk to you. You can be nice and meet them. But think of three people that don't know Jesus. And write them down somewhere. Write them uh, in in a purse or in your car and put it right there where you're going 15 miles over the speed limit. You'll slow down when you see those three people and start praying for them. And I want you to write down the names of those three people. And I want you to commit to praying for them this year. That they will come to faith. That they will believe the gospel. That they will experience the change of life that you have experienced through your belief in the gospel. That's one very practical thing you can do. You can pray for your friends and your family and your neighbors that don't know Jesus. Another thing you can do is invite them in here. You can invite them to one of these worship services or you can invite them to any of the number of other events that we do that are just intended for people to get to know us. And then finally, one other thing you can do is, is invite them to an evangelistic Bible study. We're going to be starting one of those. Uh, in February, I'm going to start a Bible study called Christianity Explored. Some of you may have heard of it before. And it's intended uh, and designed for skeptics, for people that don't believe the gospel. And it's completely um, guilt-free. It's completely pressure-free. It's a very laid-back, very good study of the Gospel of Mark. And I've done it three or four times. And every time I've done it, it's been really, really good and really, really fruitful. And I'd love for you to think about someone, maybe one of those three people that you're going to write down, and bring them to that study. It's starting on February 10th. It's just going to go for six weeks. And see what God will do there. We want to provide opportunities this year for you to invite people who don't know Jesus into life with Jesus through the ministry of this church. God will turn them, those who don't know him, from idols to serve the living and true God, just as he's done it for you, just as he's done it for me. Do you believe that? God loves to save sinners, and God loves to work on saved sinners. God loves to grow new converts and he loves to grow old seasoned believers in the gospel of Jesus. The gospel changes everything. May it change us this year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and your love. And we pray, God, that in the coming months, we would be a place that experiences deep change through the gospel. Father, I know I need to experience it more and more. I need to be rid of my guilt and my shame and my doubt. I need to be rid of anger and fear and anxiety. 
And I ask, oh God, that you would do that in my life and in our life together. Father, I pray that we would this year, more and more as we grow up, be a place that loves and labors for one another and for those in our communities who have desperate need. May you lead us to partner with other organizations that are doing very good work in our city. May you lead us to sacrifice financially, to sacrifice time, to sacrifice muscle and tears and sweat for the sake of those people who live all around us that we may not see and yet have deep and desperate needs. May we be a place this year, God, where people experience gospel renewal, where people are saved from sin and idolatry and brought into the life and light that Jesus alone brings them. Oh God, we know that only you can save people. Only you saved us. Only you changed our hearts. Only you are continuing to change our hearts. And so we plead and beseech and ask that you would do a mighty work here in this place this year. Father, we are weak and flawed and sinful and broken. We're very crooked sticks. And yet you draw straight lines with crooked sticks. So do that here in this place this year. And Father, help us not to do anything but depend upon you and your mercy and your grace as we reflect and prepare and dream about the coming year and what you might do through us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.